Pastor Brandon, you cut your hair too, didn't you, for this thing? <laughs> I'm loving it, man. I'm loving it. <laughs> Good morning. Uh, we're uh, going to be, I was, thought I was finishing up on this series this morning, but actually I'm going to add one more week next week. We're going to talk about this issue of trusting God, having faith. And uh, this morning I'm going to pick up where we left off the last time, the week before Thanksgiving, where we were talking about one of my old uh, dead friends, Soren Kierkegaard, 19th century guy. And uh, he wrote a, a brilliant piece on the topic of faith. And in that, I gave you a quote uh, from his work, and it's this. Faith is an objective uncertainty held fast in passionate inwardness. I'll read it again. Faith is an objective uncertainty, not a certainty, but an objective uncertainty held fast, grabbed onto through a passionate inwardness. Now, for Kierkegaard, what he basically was saying that, that we're better off not seeing God objectively or with certainty, like walking out and seeing the sunshine. We can go out and we can see it. But, but he said that if God would basically, if God would come here right now in front of all of us and we all went, oh my, it's God. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> And, and did some God stuff at us. Um, and we were absolutely, God, we, we know certain, there's God. He's certainly there, right there with certainty. That for Kierkegaard, he'd say something would happen in us that would lessen the impact of his reality. Because for Kierkegaard, encountering things externally don't, doesn't mess with us at the very core like wrestling with the idea of belief does at the core. He, he basically suggested that when we have an internal connection with God instead of just an external, that it went like falling in love. I mean, those of you, you know, you can meet somebody externally and they can touch you on some way, but the minute you start feeling like you're falling in love, you start moving into mystery. You start moving into uncertainty. Romance is about uncertainty. And it's that uncertainty that causes the inwardness to open up. And because of the uncertainty, you get messed with on this deep level. And falling in love is a lot about uncertainty. And those of you that have been married long, Gail and I, we celebrated our 36th wedding anniversary last Monday. And yeah, she hasn't killed me. Uh, but, but what's so odd about it is I, I am surprised. I kid you not, I am surprised uh, by her still. You know, the, the way that she'll you know, feel about something or, you know, respond in some way that's just delightful and I, I get surprised by her. And, you know, we've been around each other for, for a long time. Uh, I, I think I've been married to at least 17 different women in the same body. She's been married to about 47 different men. A number of them totally not worth being married to. <clears throat> But the point is, is that it's because of the uncertainty of a relationship that goes so much deeper than the certainty of each other's presence that causes something to be transformational in the relationship. And so for Kierkegaard, he would say that it's when inside, you know, we, we look at the external clues, but there's still kind of an objective uncertainty, and we juxtapose what's true over against what maybe isn't true. Is it true or is it not true? And it's in that tension of, is this true or not true? Is this really God or not God? You know, that kind of uncertain tension that's there that gives rise 
to this internal redemptive and transforming energy called faith. And uh, it, it goes in, in tandem with what Paul said in Ephesians chapter 2. He says, for it is by grace you have been saved through what? Through faith. And this faith is not just from yourselves. It is, this faith is the gift of God. In other words, if faith were this objective certainty, like, again, if you, you don't have to believe the sun is out there, you can go out and look at it, and you can be certain it's right out there, you can see it. Because it's, if faith were like that, no gift would be required. Uh, it, it's precisely because of the presence of uncertainty which is a kind of doubt, not a pervasive, overwhelming, uh, supervening doubt, but rather this kind of cloudy, kind of maybe-ish doubt. Because it's there, because there's a maybe not, is what makes faith, faith, right? Kierkegaard believed that it was hard to be a Christian, and that, that because it's hard to believe, and that if you tried to make it easy, you didn't really understand the nature of it. It, it should mess with you a little bit. It should freak you out a little. And he talked about in this particular work that this quote is from, he talks about Abraham, who's called the father of our faith. And about how Abraham, God had called him to leave his family and to leave his country and to move to this strange place. And, and when Abraham said to him, he said, well, what's in it for me? And God said, I'm going to give you a son. And as we read the narrative, it gets to the point where God tells him, I want you to take that son that he was promised, and I want you to kill him. And you see the tension. Abraham goes into silence. He doesn't tell Sarah. He doesn't really communicate with Isaac what's going on. And they move toward the mountain. He ties up Isaac. He's about ready to take the knife and thrust it into Isaac's chest. And in that moment, Kierkegaard says, what do you think he was thinking? You think it was all certainty? You think it was just easy? You think there wasn't tension? You think there wasn't this, he calls his book that this comes from fear and trembling. You don't think he was fearful and trembling? He said, this is faith. It's that, it's that you obey anyway. You move forward even though you're not, you're, it's just, you're not sure what's really going on. What he's saying is there's a place in each of us that has to wrestle with the issue of faith. It may involve the mind, but it's deeper. It's a place where you and you only are. The deepest part of you. Kierkegaard suggests that's where faith is born, and that's where the leap occurs. You leap in faith, and what's happening is deep in your own interiority. Uh, uh, who you are in that place is beyond description. That is the place where you choose God. You choose to trust him, not because you're trying to belong to a group. Not because you're trying to mimic what your parents have. Not because you're trying to fit in with your buds who happen to be Christians. Not because it's right, but because you have considered it. And in the angst that grows between, is it true or is it not true? Is it true? Or is it not true? Is there a God? Is he good? Is he not? In the midst of that, that struggle, even though it remains unresolved, you get to the point where you say, I don't care if it's unresolved. I'm going to leap. I'm going to believe. <laughs> that takes a gift, baby. So that's why he says faith is this objective uncertainty. 
that's held fast in passionate inwardness. Over against the uncertainty, we leap completely. Over against the uncertainty, we have this full, passionate buy-in, even though it doesn't make total sense. (laughs) For me, Ed Gunger, I'm in. I'm in. I have bought into it. I have drunk the Kool-Aid. I recognize that that doesn't mean a knowing. It doesn't mean a certainty. There's always a degree of uncertainty about all of this, but, but that's what makes faith faith. But I'm in. Now, I wish I was in 24-7. I mean, I'm in most of the time, but, but, but remember this quote from Frederick Dietrich. This is the, uh, or Buchner, rather. Fred, Frederick Buchner, he says, quote, every morning you should wake up in your bed and ask yourself, Can I believe it all again today? At least five times out of 10, he suggests, the answer should be no, because the no is as important as the yes, maybe more so, unquote. Now, that may disturb you a little bit, but there's a lot of wisdom in this. I I still have some no moments. I still have some moments, some days when, particularly when I'm excessively busy, that I I just, days where I just don't seem to be able to connect much with God. Or days when I wake up and I'm just cantankerous. Or I just feel disobedient. I mean, I want to be naughty and selfish. And and I will tell God, I'll tell God, and this is not, this is absolutely true. I'll say, God, I don't want to believe in you today. I want to be naughty. Now, it may sound crazy, but it actually helps you to see how what an idiot you sound like. Or, or days when, when disappointment exceeds hope for me. Where all these disappointments come in and, and hope just seems to, to, to just pass me by. And, and then I want to abstain from any real engagement with the eternal. I have days like that. I don't, I don't like those days because I live more by fake than by faith. Right? And, I, and I, don't, I don't think it's cool to have those days. I don't think doubt is cool. I don't. Um, I know that these kinds of days offend the one who deeply believes in me and who has given his life for me. And so I repent over them. But I do have them. But you know what I've discovered? (laughs) I've discovered that the older I get and the more persistent I become with my faith, those days are fewer in number and they don't usually last all day. They're just usually partial days. Right? Because here's the secret. What I found out that when I take the leap in my heart and I just dare to believe God is good and God is faithful and God is kind, that when I leap that, when I'm passionately buying in, my leaper is in full leap. That something happens inside me that's wonderful. I get messed with in a way that actually brings change in me. Paul wrote in Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of connecting with the Holy Spirit, which is what faith is about. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Will you celebrate others, not just yourself? Joy, which is the expectation of something good that's going to happen. Peace, which means everything's appropriate. It starts getting appropriate in your life. Uh, patience, which means you're putting up with people you can't stand. Kindness, which means you're solicitous. You're disposed to showing favor to people. Goodness, which refers to motive. Faithfulness, which means you show up. You keep showing up. 
gentleness, which is a, a kind of a heart that is sensitive to others and self-control. I, I can't explain it, I can't even defend it, but I see it in my life. That whenever I'm in this leap mode in my heart that all of a sudden I get messed with and my heart gets filled with these things, these fruits, love, joy, peace, etc. And I like it. <laughs> in fact, the psalmist said that as a result of our connection with God and the Holy Spirit, that those who live by this kind of faith, that they would love life and see good days. Peter repeats it, that we would love life, not dread it, but love life and see good days, days filled with good. See, I, somehow, when I take the leap of faith consistently, my life gets better and better. That's why I love it. Not only that, but I found out that, that when I leap in my heart toward God and push through the uncertainty and just buy in, that when I start praying for things, things actually change. How cool is that? Uh, this is a text, Mark eleven twenty two. Jesus is talking to the disciples. He says, guys, have faith in God. Have faith in God. Take the leap. I tell you the truth. If anyone says to the mountain, go and throw yourself into the sea, and he doesn't doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will happen, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. This is amazing. The notion that all of us have faced mountains in our lives. Stuff that obscures our view. Stuff that obscures our journey. We run into mountains in people's lives where it seems like nothing can change. Nothing seems to get any better. Their future is painted with the paintbrush and the paint of their past. And life seems stuck. But somehow Jesus said, if you'll develop your faith in God, you can unstuck stuff. You, you, can, push, you, can, <laughs> you can move mountains. How sweet is that? In your life and in the lives of others, we can actually push mountains out of the way of people if we learn to trust God. There's another text in 1 John 5. It, it talks about, about the people who are born of God, that they overcome the world. This is kind of a double-edged deal. And one side is depressing because it means that the world has a lot of suck in it that has to be overcome, right? Or you'll be drawn into it and life will just get darker and darker. But it, it, even though that's true, we do by, we, we can actually overcome the world. We can take on this attitude of a kind of a conquering thing that we don't have to be controlled, but we can actually move with strength in life. And he goes on to say, this is the victory that has overcome the world, even our, our faith. It's our faith that overcomes the world. And then this verse, which is just a couple of verses later, it's verse 14. This is the confidence that we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask him, we know, what the, we know that what we have asked, well, you know what I'm saying, you're gonna get it. <laughs> Prayer, prayers prayed in faith change the world. How cool is that? Right? I wish that I could say that every time I prayed with faith that, that I got exactly what I prayed for. But that isn't true. Um, in fact, uh, a lot of times when I prayed, I've seen things happen, and a lot of times when I prayed, nothing happens, which creates a problem. Uh, it turns out that faith is a little more complicated than just uh, one dimension of our articulating faith. 
And we see examples of this in like 1 Corinthians 13 in verse 2, Paul is writing and he says, if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can what? Move those mountains, but I don't have love, I don't care about others, I don't evaluate how this affects others, I am nothing. So what Paul is basically saying here is that faith alone isn't enough. There's, there has to be a commitment to the love of God. So there's a degree of complexity here. It's not just about faith. It's also about loving. Here's another one. Uh, sometimes there's issues of motives. Here's James and James 4 urging people to pray about specific needs and telling them, why don't you? You haven't. You need to do it. And he says to them, you do not have because you didn't ask. You guys need to ask God. But some of you, when you ask, you don't end up receiving because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend it, what you get on your pleasure. So what he basically is saying is it's a little more complex, right, than, than, than what you may think that it is. Other times, um, uh, we are the biggest part of the miracle that needs to happen. I mean, our faith may empower us, but we've got to step up and get involved. For instance, success in life is not because God just magically blesses you right? You tithe and you give offerings and all of a sudden God gives you the right numbers for that lotto (laughs) in a dream. That's not not the way it works, right? I mean, what you have to employ are things like diligence and risk-taking and self-improvement. Your faith can empower you for that. But But sometimes the miracle is not just the prayer, it's the prayer that sets you up to act in an appropriate way. Hmm? I was talking to a fella in Wisconsin when we pastored there, and he, he fell in love with this girl, and he had this job at the hospital. It was a pretty dead-end job. He was at the top of it and was barely making over a minimum wage. He was a runner in the hospital, which is a wonderful job, but it, it just wasn't enough to provide as they got married and started having fruit. Those little fruits are pretty expensive. <laughs> <You know? laughs> they bring blessing, but they bring much cost. But anyway, <laughs> so his, his, uh, he, was, he had like four fruits. And, um, um, uh, and he came to me, he said, Pastor Ed, he said, I just don't get it. I mean, I'm a tither. I give. I can't figure out why God isn't blessing my life. I said, I said let me ask you a question. I said, what would you like to do? I mean, you're at a dead-end job. I said, why don't you, what would you like to do? Go back to school? You have any other interests? He said, well, I'd love to be a nurse. I said, well, go back to school. He said, I can't go back to school. I got four kids. I'll never survive. And God hasn't spoken to me. I said, what, what? God has to speak to you to do something hard, but he doesn't have to speak to you to stay in a dead-end job? What about the notion that faith brings perseverance? What if, what if faith means you're a risk taker? What if, what if it's buying into the fact that you've got some fingerprints of interest in you that are God's fingerprints and that if you dare act on them, that God will provide as you act on it. And sure enough, he went back to school. It was tough. Four years, ended up going back, uh, you know, got a job and then they paid for the next two years and he's this uh, nurse anesthetist guy that makes buku money and teaches. I mean, he just is very successful. And he thought that the success was all just the Lord, I'm a tither. God send the dog with a bag of money in his mouth. <laughs> Praise God. No, dude, you're the problem. God needs to work on you. Or you may say, God, bless my marriage, you know, fix her. <laughs> and the reality is God talking to you and wants to deal with what you think and how you treat him or her. 
And, and, and so the process of prayer, really, the answer is really you. Life has a lot to do with sowing and reaping, right? And, and a lot of what God has to do, you know, it's a horrible thing. The first year Gail and I were married, you know, I, I, I knew that, you know, I knew I was right. I was the man of the house. And, you know, she would have issues because she's a woman, didn't understand manly things. And I'm thinking, you know, God, he'd understand for he is a man. <laughs> And I remember the text, you know, later, God is not a man that he should lie. Yeah. <laughs> Let me keep it down. <laughs> and so I'm talking to God, and God said, you're the problem. <clears throat> anyway. So sometimes prayer just ain't going to fix things. You got to think about how you're dealing with it. Prayer is not going to fix your relationship with your adult children God's going to deal with how you think about them and how you treat them and what you expect from them. And, and so we have to understand that prayer is a little more complex sometimes. Sometimes prayers don't get answered and God never tells us why. We pray and it doesn't work. And we pray harder and it doesn't work. I tell you, I prayed for people that things happened that I'm surprised anything happened. And then I prayed for people that I totally expected something to happen and they got worse. Why? I used to know why. Preach some great sermons, five-step sermons on how to get her done. <laughs> the reality is, Paul said it this way, we see through a glass darkly or dimly. We don't see things. We're just, we're people. He's God, right? The, the reality is this whole faith enterprise is a little more complex, I think, than most of us think it is. It's not just this simple, you know, you see the word of God, you stand on the word of God, you confess the word of God, you see the word of God, you speak the word of God, and bless God, God will do it. Yeah, sometimes. The reality is, it's more complex than that. There's a, this is not a five-step deal. This is not. I, cooking. Cooking is fairly complex. For guys like me. I see Gail, she cooks, it's delicious, it tastes wonderful. I've actually pulled out the very recipes she's done, and my sake, following the same recipe that she did that made it taste wonderful, and mine tastes like dog food. <laughs> Why is that? I'm not exactly sure. But, but, but it's, it, I'm telling you, it's more complex than you'd think. You know, I think it has something to do with the ingredients you put in, how much you put in, you know. She, she puts in some ingredients. I put, like, salt in stuff, and I think, oh, salt makes it taste better than more salt will make it taste better than that. But that's not how it turns out. Or she cooks it in a certain order, you know. You, you can't scramble the eggs and then add the milk. <laughs> so you might have all the ingredients of prayer, and you can't figure out why it doesn't work. You know why? Because you're not as smart as you think you are. And things aren't always in your control. I mean, if cooking is complicated... Don't you think maybe faith could be a little, at least as complicated as cooking? Yeah. So what do we do? If faith is uncertainty, what are we supposed to do? Well, I think what we're supposed to do is I think we're supposed to talk about faith in terms of probability, not certainty. What I mean by that is, if you pray about stuff, and you take God's word, and you take his promise, and you think about it, and you meditate on it until impulses of trust come, and you begin to say, God, I'm trusting you, and I'm speaking life into this situation, that your probability goes up. That's all. It's like eating and exercising. If you eat and exercise, the probability is that you'll have a healthier life. 
it'll pro- it's probably going to happen, right? You have better probability if you eat right and exercise than if you don't. Now, the fact of the matter is you might step out on the street and get run over by a bus. <laughs> and somebody will look at you and say, well, it didn't help him any. He ate right and exercised. Look at him. <laughs> that didn't help him at all. See, if you learn to live by faith, you'll have a higher probability of having a happier life. You'll have a higher probability of having better friendships and a better marriage. You have a higher probability of having a healthier body, a more successful career. I mean, the probability goes up. But it's a probability, not a certainty. And we need to understand that's okay. We just need to buy into the probability theory. You know, when they talk, you maybe remember this from high school chemistry. They used to talk about the the atom and then the electron around the atom. And when they talked about it, they used to do it like this back in the 60s, early 70s. They, they'd show the atom in the center, and then, or the, the, the nucleus in the center, and then these, these little things around that went like orbits, like, like, uh, like planets around the sun. Those were the electrons. And so the theory was they were very ordered. They followed certain courses and very predictable. They were pretty certain that it was this way. But when, you, when they started digging more into atomic theory, they realized it was more like this. Wasn't, in other words, the denser it gets, the darker it gets, the probability of the electron being there is higher. The further out you get, the lighter it gets, the probability is less. So where's the electron? Well, it's there, probably. <laughs> A lot less certain. See, example, uh, if you wanted to catch me at home, if you come during the day, the probability is pretty low. But if you come after six, the probability bumps up that I'll be home, maybe 40%. If you come after eight, maybe 50%. You come after 10, it's probably 60, 70%, but I'm going to be home. You come at midnight, and 99.9% of the time I'm home. But it's never certain because sometimes I travel. And I'm not home. It's not certain. And sometimes Gail and I stay out late and play. That's getting less as we get older. It seems like 10 is more appropriate. See, I think faith is like that. We can always increase our chances for miracles. We can always increase our chances for a good life if we learn to walk by faith, but there will always be a chance we don't get a miracle. Our job is to trust God and to pray for stuff and to have enough faith in God that it's okay if we fail. That, that, that we recognize that on some level we are partially omniscient. In other words, we don't know it all, right? Here's a classic example of this. This is David in Psalm, or 2 Samuel 12, and David's pleading to God for his baby. Now, Nathan, the prophet, had come to David and said, David, your child is going to die. That's bad news, right? But David starts pleading with God for the child to live. Now, Understand, just because God said the child was going to die doesn't mean he was going to die for sure. Because you go further in Scripture, you run into a big-time prophet, Isaiah, and he wrote a book. Nathan never wrote a book. Isaiah wrote a book. He's a big-time book-writing prophet. And he goes to a dude named Hezekiah, the king, and says to Hezekiah, you're going to die today. That, that constitutes a bad day right there. Right? So you're going to die today. The Bible says, I mean, it's a judgment. 
The Bible says Hezekiah turned his face toward the wall and began to weep and just cry out to God. And before Isaiah was out of the courtyard of the house of the king, God speaks to him and says, go back, tell him I've added 15 years to his life. Listen, precedence is God does respond to human heart. And just because something's going to be doesn't mean it's going to stay that way because God sees your heart. And so here's King David knowing God. He knows that there's been a judgment, but he knows God is pretty good. So he's going after it. He's taking a chance. With, with objective uncertainty, he has this passionate inwardness. God, you're good. Save my boy. Watch. He fasted, went into his house, and spent the nights lying on the ground. The elders of his household stood beside him to get him up from the ground, but he refused. He wouldn't eat any food with them. Seven days pass, and the child dies. David's servants were afraid to tell him that the child was dead, for they thought, while the child was still living, we spoke to David. He wouldn't listen to us. How can we tell him the child is dead? He may do something desperate. David noticed that his servants were whispering among themselves. He realized the child was dead. He said, is the child dead? Yeah, he's dead, they said. Then David got up from the ground after he had washed, put on lotions, changed his clothes, went into the house of the Lord and worshiped. Then he went back to his own house and at his request, they served him food and he ate. And then his servants asked him, why are you acting this way? While the child was alive, you fasted and wept. Now the child is dead, you get up and eat? And he answered, while the child was still alive, I fasted and I wept because I thought, who knows, who knows, who knows the Lord may be gracious to me and let the child live. This is faith. It's, it's saying, ah, it doesn't look good, but I'm going to trust. It doesn't look great, but I have a promise. I'm going after this like a chicken on a June bug. I'm going after this puppy. I'm going to trust and pray and fast and speak and sweat, spit. Because who knows? Who knows? God is so gracious. Who knows? I might turn this around. I might just turn this around. But then he says, but now he's dead. Why should I fast? I mean, I can't bring him back again. I will go to him, but he will not return back to me. I mean, here he is. Basically, he sees the child is dead. And what does he do? He gets up. He washes himself. And he goes back to the house of the Lord. And he worships. Why? Because David had the kind of faith that dared to fail. He didn't just write it off to sovereignty. Well, what the Lord wills will happen no matter what anyone says or does or prays. That's why I can watch TV all day and never pray. Because the Lord's will be done. No, you're an idiot. (laughs) You're a lazy fool. People of faith get up and they run after it and they dare to trust God even if nothing changes. And after nothing changes and everything falls apart and it seems like their whole fasting and their prayer and their weeping and their crying just was worth nothing. They get up, wash their face, worship some more and get ready for the next fight. That's a person of faith. This is why people who failed from a human standpoint, why they're applauded in the hall of faith. Hebrews chapter 11, I mean, There were ones that won, and they're going, yay! And there were ones that lost big time. And they went, yay! Men and women of faith. Let's read it as we close. This is Hebrews 11, 32. And what more shall we say? I don't have time to tell you about Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith 
conquered kingdoms, administered justice, gained what was promised, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, amen, (laughs) who became powerful in battle, routed foreign armies, women received back their dead, raised to life again. Most people stop quoting it there. Why? Because the next juxtaposition sucks. On the other hand, men and women of faith, some of them were tortured and refused to be released so they might gain a better resurrection. They didn't just need their promise in the now. They were okay with it in the later. Some faced jeers and floggings. Others were chained and put into prison. They were stoned. They were sawed in two. They were put to death by the sword. Men, women of faith. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, though they tithed. Persecuted, mistreated, and watch what he says about them. The world wasn't worthy of these people. They were gold. They wandered in deserts. I hear a boinging. Is it time? (laughs) Did you all hear the boinging? (laughs) Tell them I'm almost done. It's a good reminder, though, isn't it? Pastor Ed is 10 after 12. (laughs) Yeah, I know that. Shut up. (laughs) The world was not where they wandered in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. See, on one side, we have faith producing great victory. On the other side, we have faith producing great failure. And both are applauded. See, some of us come from backgrounds where we had teachers on faith that told us really that the only real faith only does is bring victory. That each of us should be able to secure every time complete healing for everyone, ourselves, and everyone around us all the time, every time. That somehow, you know, we can have as much wealth as we want, the good life as much as we want, that we get to choose when we die. And if we don't, if anything happens to us that we did not will to happen to us, that it's because we didn't have enough, enough faith, which is really to say that faith makes us in charge. I'd like to suggest to you that that is a lie. Faith does not put you in charge. Faith yields to the one who has charge. Right? And let me tell you something. If you're not careful... You will simply be a Christian witch or warlock. You know what witches and warlocks are about? Controlling the world, controlling people. And they have books they open and they speak incantations to control people, to control events, to control the world. And if you're not careful, you'll think your faith's about taking promises and speaking them out and controlling everything, controlling this and controlling. And when somebody says, you got a miracle, yes, bless God, I spoke the word of God, and I got healed, and I got, blah, 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 praise God, praise God, praise God, praise me, actually, praise me. <laughs> Whenever I hear anybody tell me about a miracle, if they talk more about them and their faith and they talk about God, I always think to myself, you are a moron. I'm a name caller this morning. I need to come in again faster, Brad. All right, I need to shut up. Here's what I'm saying. Faith isn't always logical. The philosopher would call it teleological. And what that means is, Logical means A, B, C, D, E, F. 
Gee, so you know it. It's logical. We're going to get over here. If I do all these steps, I'm going to get here. It's always going to happen. It's logical. You just work the system. Teleological means A, M, C, R, Z, B. We're insured. Right? But, hold on a second. So logical is I'm going to get here. Here's teleological. Teleological, teleological means that the way there is, I'm going to get there, but it's maybe look more like this. <laughs> He's gone. Can't see him. He's back. And then before I get there, I die, because it's going to come in eternity. <laughs> but God is still God. Faith still works. Just not like you thought. 